Welcome to this session in our series on questions and answers. In our last session, we sought to answer the question, are there good arguments for the existence of God? And we looked specifically at some of the arguments that Thomas Aquinas used to demonstrate the reality of God's existence. In this session, we're going to be asking the question, do we have good evidence for the resurrection of Jesus? Now for me, this is the key question, the central question. If Jesus has not been bodily raised from the dead, then virtually everything else about the gospel of Christ falls apart. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, if Jesus's body is still in the tomb, then there's no point in believing the gospel and our sins have not been paid for or atoned for. So the resurrection of Jesus is massively important. It is at the heart of the gospel. In fact, earlier in that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul summarizes the gospel, he summarizes it this way. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So the death of Jesus for our sin, His burial, and His resurrection on the third day in accord with the Scripture, both His death and resurrection, in accordance with what the Old Testament said, that is... Uh, at the heart of the gospel. And Paul says that if the resurrection didn't happen, if Jesus did not come out of the tomb alive, raised from the dead, then our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. Which means the question, did Jesus really rise from the dead, is of extreme importance, even crucial importance. And because the resurrection of Jesus is a historical event. It either did or didn't happen at a particular time, in a particular place, to a particular person. Because it is a historical event, we can use and look at and benefit from historical arguments about the resurrection of Jesus. Of course, if you're a Christian, you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But looking at these um, historical evidences can help us, one, uh, whenever we have maybe doubts that arise in our hearts. How can I know for sure that Jesus rose from the dead? These historical arguments, these historical evidences can help us, can help bolster our faith and help uh, help uh, assure us that what we are believing, what we're putting our faith in really did happen. They can also help us whenever we're answering questions asked by our children or our grandchildren or people we know at work or at school or in our families who uh, wonder why we would believe in the resurrection of Jesus or, or, or why we're convinced or how we're convinced or whatever. So what we're going to do is I'm going to mention uh, several objections that could be raised about the resurrection of Jesus, and then we're going to look at how those objections 
can be answered uh, historically on the basis of Scripture. Now, nothing that I'm going to say here is original with me or new to me. Um, these are things I've learned and gleaned from studying others who study these things uh, as well. And so uh, what, what I'm hoping to do here is just to help familiarize you, help make you aware of some of the objections people might raise against the resurrection of Jesus and how those objections can be answered with good evidence, good arguments from Scripture. So, some objections that you might hear about the resurrection of Jesus. Somebody might say, you know, those stories about Jesus rising from the dead, those were just made up. The, the apostles, the gospel writers, they, they made up those stories. Or somebody might say, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, the disciples just must have stolen his body, must have just taken his body out of the tomb so people would think he had risen from the dead. Or somebody uh, might say that uh, the disciples were just imagining it. They were hallucinating or something like that. They thought they saw Jesus raised from the dead. They were convinced they saw it, but they were misled or deceived or seeing some kind of illusion. Uh, Some might say what they saw was Jesus' spirit, Right, uh, that they saw, you know, some kind of apparition of Jesus, but it wasn't his flesh and blood body. And then finally, somebody might say, you know, Jesus never really died in the first place. He just kind of, you know, he he passed out. Or this this is sometimes called the swoon theory, right? That he just swooned. He he he, uh, you know, lost a lot of blood and was weak and whatnot. And he looked dead, but he wasn't actually dead. Well, what can we say to objections like that or to just the basic objection? What reason do we have to believe that this happened? Right? The, people don't just rise from the dead. And so the burden of proof is on us, right? On you, somebody might say to you. So why do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, here's, uh, here's one of the first lines of evidence. Right? In the first century, nobody would make up a story in which women were the first eyewitnesses of Jesus's empty tomb, right? So when we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus, we don't have any records of anybody who saw him walk out of the tomb. What we do have is witnesses who came to the tomb and found the tomb empty, and we have witnesses who saw Jesus after he had come out of the tomb alive, right? So the first people to show up at the tomb and realize that it was empty on the third day were women. We see this in all four of the Gospels. And the reason why this is significant is because, and this I'm drawing from a book called Apologetics at the Cross, and and these scholars uh, who wrote this book are drawing on the work of another scholar as well. But here's what they say about uh, women as witnesses at this point in history, in the first century. They say, at this time, women were not believed to give trustworthy testimony on important matters, which is why they were not allowed to testify in a court of law. Now, obviously, we don't view women that way today, right? That's, we don't share that perspective, but that was the reality in that culture at that time. And so if you were going to make up a story about Jesus being raised from the dead, the first witness you would put at the empty tomb, you would not make that up 
with that with that first witness being a woman, you would make it a man, right? But in all four of the Gospels, we're told over and over and over again that the first people to come to the tomb and realize that it was empty, that Jesus' body was gone, were women. Matthew 28, 1 says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were uh, went to see the tomb. And of course, they found it empty. Mark 16, 1, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. What they find? They found he wasn't there. Luke 23, starting in verse 55, says the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. So they knew exactly where he was. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. That would have been Saturday, crucified Friday, rested on Saturday. But on the first day of the week, Sunday, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So they knew right where he was supposed to be, and when they got there, he wasn't there. John 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So again, we value the testimony of women today, but at that time, the testimony of women was not valued. And the point of bringing that up is just to say, if the apostles made up the story of Jesus rising from the dead and his body not being found in the tomb, they would not have made up a story where women were the first eyewitnesses. Right? Scholars have uh, pointed that out, argued that. It's a, it's, a, it's a significant, important argument. That's good reason to believe that these stories were not made up, but that they were in fact telling the truth. All right? The next line of evidence. The story, the, the idea of Jesus' body being stolen is an idea that Matthew himself addresses in the Gospel of Matthew and tells us, he, he tells us what happened and addresses the, the story, the rumor, I think he calls it, of the body of Jesus being stolen by the disciples. Now listen to what Matthew says and then think about whether Matthew's account makes more sense or whether the idea of Jesus' body being stolen by the disciples makes more sense. Right? Here's, what he, here's what Matthew says. This is uh, starting in verse tw uh, chapter 27, verse 62. He says, The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. So they'd heard him predict his resurrection. So they say, therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. So they're saying, we heard him predict that he's going to rise from the dead. We don't think he will. We do think his disciples might steal the body, though, and then they could convince people he had risen from the dead, and then we'd really be in trouble. Right? So it says, Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Right? Then in chapter 28, verse 1, starting verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Right? So the stone is rolled away. There's an angel there and the guards who were set 
there to guard the tomb and make sure the stone was not rolled away, that the body of Jesus was not taken, they are absolutely terrified by the presence of these angels, which is what often happens in Scripture when somebody encounters an angel. And then a few verses later, verse 11 of Matthew 28, says, While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So Matthew says, here's why some people think that the disciples stole Jesus's body, right? That that's what the soldiers were told to tell people, right? The soldiers who were set to guard the tomb, they were told to tell people that the disciples came and stole Jesus's body away. But Matthew is saying what actually happened was that the guards were there guarding the tomb, but then an angel came and the stone was rolled away, and Jesus' body was no longer in the tomb, and the soldiers were paid off to, and told to start a rumor, basically, about what happened to Jesus. Now, which one is more likely? That Jesus was crucified publicly because uh, some of the religious leaders um, didn't like him. Um, I think you can make a good argument. They were afraid of him or jealous of him or something like that. And they, um, if they set soldiers right to guard the tomb, which is more likely that the, that the guards fell asleep or something, right? And the disciples snuck in under their nose, rolled away an enormous stone, and stole the body of Jesus without these guards being able to stop them or being aware that they were there? Or is it more likely that Jesus's body was not in the tomb because he had been raised from the dead and the religious leaders who didn't want people to follow Jesus and didn't want people to think that Jesus had risen from the dead instead paid off the soldiers who had witnessed Jesus's resurrection or at least the you know the angel and and the earthquake and whatnot and, and told them to tell people that the disciples of Jesus had stolen them away. I mean, think about it like this. And again, I, I'm not, none of this is new with me. This is just what people have noticed as they've studied the scriptures and thought about this scenario and, and try to help people understand what actually happened and, and, and why we have good reasons to believe. I mean, I mean, think about this, right? The disciples had a, more or less, most of them, abandoned Jesus at his crucifixion, right? They uh, were scared right and what are the odds that they would all of a sudden gain courage to uh, sneak in and steal Jesus's body uh, that's that seems highly unlikely uh, what would turn those disciples into courageous preachers of Jesus of Jesus Christ right crucified and risen what would cause them to be willing to go to jail, to suffer, to be persecuted when not long before uh, they abandoned him, right? When he was being arrested. And Peter, uh, you know, denied Jesus three times rather than be associated with him. What would change such that they would be so bold to preach about Jesus regardless of the consequences for them personally? 
Would it be because they stole Jesus' body out of the tomb and were determined to lie everybody, to lie to everyone about his resurrection? Or that Jesus really was raised from the dead and the guards couldn't keep him in the tomb and the disciples were emboldened because their crucified Savior was now also their risen Savior and they were ready to preach him regardless of the cost? Which one makes the most sense? Right? Okay, here's the next line of evidence. Um, or, or next uh, thing we can say. So, um, to the objection that the disciples were just hallucinating, they were just seeing a vision, right? One of the uh, things that people have said is, well, that might would be, we, you might could make that argument about one person, but there's no such thing as a group hallucination, right? Uh, the, not, you're going to have 11 disciples uh, think that they saw Jesus all at the same time in the same way or, or whatever. That, that doesn't happen, right? So the fact that all of the disciples, except Judas, of course, who took his own life, all the other disciples saw Jesus risen from the dead, and not just all those disciples, but a huge group of people uh, is evidence that Jesus really was risen from the dead. This is not just something they were imagining, right? Uh, so, for example, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 5 and 6, after he says you know, uh, he was uh, crucified and buried and uh, rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, he said, he says, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, referring to the group of the apostles, of course Judas is not there anymore, but that's how they were called, the twelve. He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, Paul says, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, meaning most of them you could go look up and talk to, and they're still alive, and they're still around, they can still bear witness today. More than 500 brothers at one time. If 500 people witness something, that's a whole lot of evidence Right? That's a whole lot of proof that it really happened. One person says something, maybe even two people say something. You know, two witnesses, that's pretty good. Right? One is not really enough. But 500, Paul is saying, most of whom are still alive at the time he's writing this. You can go ask them, did you see Jesus raised from the dead? And they'll tell you, yes, I saw him alive after his crucifixion. Right? So uh, it doesn't make sense to claim that all of these people just you know, hallucinated or imagined this or, or, or whatever. Right? Here's another line of evidence. The Gospels are explicit that Jesus was not a spirit. He was not a ghost, but that he had a body. Right? So the idea that the apostles just saw Jesus' ghost or Jesus' spirit doesn't work. Right? Here's what Luke says. This is probably the, the clearest passage in the Gospels uh, on this point. Luke 23 verses, or excuse me, Luke 24 verses 36 to 42 says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. So they, they thought it's, it's his ghost. It's his spirit appearing to us. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. So Jesus himself is saying, look, I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. 
touch me. Come in and feel my hands. Right? A, a ghost doesn't have flesh and blood. I do. I'm not just appearing to you spiritually. I am here in the flesh, risen from the dead. And to prove it to you, I'll eat some fish. Ghosts don't eat, right? I'm going to eat some fish. So Jesus uh, makes very clear, right, that he is not just a spirit, that he is, has bodily been raised from the dead. Right? And then we can also say this, if Jesus didn't really die, because that's one of the objections, well, maybe he didn't really die. Maybe he just got really weak and passed out and then was resuscitated, right? Not resurrected. Well, if that's true, then the professional soldier slash executioner was wrong, right? The spear that was thrust into Jesus's side did not kill him. And after brutal treatment that left him so close to death that those near him thought he was dead, rather than laying in bed and recovering for days, if not weeks, two days later, he walked seven miles to Emmaus and repeatedly appeared to his disciples. All right, so again, I'm drawing on the work of others here, right? This is not original with me, but think about this. Right, John 19, here's what it says happened when Jesus, when Jesus died. It says, Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. They break, the, the legs would be broken so that they would um, suffocate more quickly, so that they would die more quickly. Crucifixion could be a long, drawn-out, uh, awful, horrible death. But when they uh, broke crucified people's legs, that was uh, supposed to um, accelerate their death, right? So it says, the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Or they got to be sure, right? They've got to be sure that Jesus is dead. And, and they look at him and they, they think he's dead, so they don't break his legs. But then it says, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. Evidently, right, our assumption is that was to make sure he was really dead. And then it says, He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. Right, so the soldiers there, they're supposed to make sure these three people who are being crucified are going to die quickly so that their bodies can be removed because of the coming Sabbath and whatnot. But Jesus is already dead, so they don't break his legs. And then apparently, just to make sure, a soldier stabs him in the side with a spear. Then we read also in Mark 15, verses 43 and 45, it says that Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So Joseph comes to Pilate, says, can I have Jesus' body? He, he wants to bury Jesus, right? It says, Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. So he's surprised that Joseph is already asking for the body, because that means Jesus died more quickly than he expected. So it says, summoning the centurion, that's the Roman soldier, summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. In other words, Mark is at great pains to make sure that we understand that Pilate was assured by a Roman centurion that Jesus had in fact died 
before he released Jesus' corpse, Jesus' body, to Joseph for burial. So he didn't just appear to be dead, right? He really died. Otherwise, all these people were hoodwinked, right? They were wrong about Jesus' death. That's extremely unlikely, right? Luke 24, verses 13 to 16 says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. Uh, That very day, I think, means, uh, I think it's Sunday, the first day of the week, the day Jesus rose from the dead. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So he was crucified right outside Jerusalem. These guys are on their way to Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem. And it says they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now later they do have their eyes open. They do recognize him. But he walked with them for a while, talked to them about what has happened and whatnot. He's walking with him to Emmaus. And uh, he just died a couple of days ago. And if somebody argues he didn't really die, imagine, just think about how much trauma, physical trauma and suffering and blood loss and all the rest his body has gone through just a couple, three days before. And now he's walking on this road toward Emmaus that's seven miles away. And I I think they make it all the way to Emmaus before they realize that it's Jesus, if I remember correctly. So, um, Again, none of these are original with me. I'm, all, I'm drawing on arguments others have used. But when you put all those arguments together, which one makes more sense? To think that Jesus died and was buried and remained in the tomb? Or that he really rose from the dead? And we haven't even talked about the prophecies that were fulfilled, the things written hundreds, sometimes even a thousand or perhaps more years before Jesus' death and resurrection that, uh, that predicted and pointed to his death and resurrection. We haven't even talked about the Apostle Paul, who before he was the Apostle Paul was a determined persecutor of the church, seeking to lock up Christians, uh, essentially trying to destroy the church, who then said he encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, that Jesus appeared to him from heaven. And Paul was converted and and confessed Jesus as Lord and began preaching Jesus, where before he'd been persecuting followers of Jesus. And we could, I mean, you could keep going. The, The point is just to say that there is good historical evidence, numerous eyewitnesses, details that wouldn't be made up, like, uh, you know, the women being at the tomb, uh, verification of Jesus' death, a, a plausible explanation of why some people would think the disciples stole Jesus' body with a story that makes a lot better sense than Jesus' disciples wanting to and being able to steal his body out from under the noses of guards stationed at Jesus' tomb, right? And on and on and on. So yes, there are good historical arguments for the resurrection of Jesus. Now, does, is that, does that mean everybody's going to believe? No, of course not. We, it's still a matter of faith. You still have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. The, the historical evidence is probably not enough on its own to persuade anybody right, to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But it's not something where we are just taking a blind leap in the dark. 
where we were just saying, sure, we'll forget all that we know about people dying. They don't usually come back from the dead. And we're just going to blindly believe that this, uh, this Jesus rose from the dead. No, we believe on a whole host of reasons because of what we believe about God and his promises and his prophecies and his trustworthiness and faithfulness because we believe about scripture and its trustworthiness and and that it's inspired by God because of what we believe about Jesus and what he said about himself and who he was and what he did and what he accomplished but also on the basis of the witnesses of the apostles uh, who testified and preached and proclaimed Jesus raised from the dead and, and and on and on and on we have good reasons for what we believe. I hope those reasons encourage you. I hope those reasons strengthen your faith. I hope those reasons equip you to answer questions from those who are doubting or skeptical or have questions. And I hope most of all that your hope is in the resurrected Jesus and that you are looking forward to the day when he returns and we get to share in his resurrection as those who belong to him are raised to be with him forever. Come Lord Jesus. Amen.